As you guys grab a seat, you can open up to pages 18 and 19 in your packets. That's where we're gonna be tonight and we'll be there in just a minute. Uh, I'm curious how you would answer this question. Uh, what's the bravest thing that you've ever said? Now that might be hard to think of on the spot. I'm not gonna ask for answers. Uh, we don't often think of bravery in terms of what we say. Maybe you're able to recall the funniest thing you've ever said. Or, or maybe you're like me and you can think of some pretty embarrassing things that you've said. But what about the bravest? And maybe you stood up to a bully on the playground growing up. Or, or maybe you can remember speaking a difficult truth in love to a friend who needed to hear it. Maybe saying yes to this conference was a brave step for you. But what's the bravest thing you've ever said? Now this question was posed in a, a book I recently read called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And as you would imagine from the title, the main characters are a boy, a mole, a fox, and a horse. And this illustrated book explores life les lessons, nuggets of wisdom shared between these four characters. And, and out of the four, the horse is portrayed as the, the strong and courageous one. And so the boy asks him this question, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? And the horse's answer might surprise you. It's one word, help. Help. The bravest thing that this symbol of courage has ever spoken is help. Now this probably shatters our categories a little bit because when we think of bravery, we think of uh, fearlessness, of independence and strength and self-sufficiency. Uh, we think to need help is the opposite of bravery. Now, uh, most of you don't know me, but you should know that I don't make it a habit of getting my advice from animals. <laughs> but I think this horse is onto something. Because this connection between bravery and help is not just some you know, sage and cute advice, it's biblical. Uh, I mean, think about how many times in your life that asking for help was just the smart thing to do. Uh, whether it was that tutor who helped you pass the test, uh, the friend whose advice brought clarity to a situation, or that financial gift that came at just the right time. And yet, we still wage war against asking for help because we don't want to come across as needy or weak. Uh, but what Scripture urges us to see and what this passage is going to put before us is that requiring help is not merely an occasional need. It's essential to your survival. Bravery is not being the boldest, it's not being the most competent, it's not being the least fearless. Bravery is being the one who goes to Jesus and says, help. And so my hope tonight in this passage would be to rip away the illusion of self-sufficiency and to remind us of our dependence. We're gonna see in this passage for us that Jesus welcomes the unable and he gives us the help that we need. So if you would uh, pick up with me in verse 17 where we left off this morning of Luke chapter five. 
It says this, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they were glorifying God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Before we dive in, let's pray. Our Father, you made all things by the power of your word. When you speak, things happen. And so as we hear your words now, I ask that you would breathe new life into our souls. In your son's name we pray, amen. So one point broken up into two for our time this evening, the help you need is found in Jesus. So let's first talk about the help that you need. I want you to notice uh, the scene that's developing here. Uh, so far in Luke, we've seen crowds flocking to Jesus. If you remember last night's passage, the crowds were so big that Jesus got in a boat just for some space to teach. This morning, after Jesus heals the leper, uh, it leads to widespread reports about him uh, so that great crowds gather to hear him and be healed. Now, now, Jesus doesn't have TikTok or Instagram, but he's most definitely a first century influencer. And uh, as the crowding continues, Luke gets specific with who is crowding him by showing us two different groups of people. We saw the first group in verse 17, Pharisees and teachers of the law are gathering from all around. Now, if you're unfamiliar with these, these guys, what you need to know is they were a big deal. Uh, they were experts in the Bible. They were passionate about God and living holy lives. They were well-known religious leaders with influence of their own, and they've come to hear Jesus. But there's a second group trying to get to Jesus. You notice that in verse 18. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. So the second group is this group of guys carrying their paralyzed friend. And these two groups, the religious leaders and this random group of friends, they're doing two very different things in this passage. Notice what the religious leaders are doing in verse 17. Luke tells us that they were sitting there. They were doing what you guys are doing right now. They're sitting there, they're listening as Jesus teaches. Maybe even they have packets of their own that they're taking notes in. Now what about the friends? Luke tells us with one very run-on sentence that they are doing a lot more than just sitting there. 
These guys are on the move with determination. I want you to notice verses 18 and 19. Look at all the verbs in this one sentence. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. You lose your breath just reading that one sentence. There's a ton of action jam-packed into those two verses. Can't you feel the frantic activity? These guys wish they were in the room with Jesus, but there's no way to get in. And so they pull out all the stops to get there. And their determination is matched by innovation. So there's this crowd filling up the house. I mean, think about it. It's been hard enough to move through the buffet line with just a plate. Imagine pushing through the crowd with a stretcher. And so these guys need to, uh, to, to come up with a different way to get to Jesus. And honestly, they could have given up. They could have waited for another day. They could have uh, waited for another opportunity to grab Jesus. But it seems like one of them spoke up. And I think many of us have that, that friend who's got some crazy ideas from time to time. And if you don't have that friend, it might be because you are that friend. <laughs> but this plan is next level. Now, uh, I want you to know that this took place 2,000 years ago in Israel, and I am not an expert in first century Middle Eastern etiquette, but I'm pretty sure that it was not common or acceptable to tear through someone's roof. <laughs> Yet, this is the plan that they came up with to get to Jesus. So, so what's driving their determination and their innovation? I think it's desperation. Look again at the end of verse 18. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. They just wanted to get their friend to Jesus. Now, we don't know how long this man has been paralyzed, but we know that living with paralysis is incredibly difficult, especially back then. I mean, his situation was desperate. And so were his friends. Now, as this scene unfolds and these two groups of people come to Jesus, I want you to notice who Luke highlights in the passage. Look at verse 18. He says, and behold. Now, this should make us pause because all throughout the weekend in Luke chapter 5, Luke has been writing things for us. But with that word, behold, he's now talking to us. He's saying behold to the reader. He's saying Look, look at these guys. Look at what they're doing. And although they're doing something very disruptive and potentially impolite, Luke's not painting them in a negative light because Jesus sees their actions as good and commendable. Look at verse 20. It says, when he, Jesus, saw their faith, See, Jesus sees what these guys are doing as an example of faith. Now, even if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, you, you probably at least know that faith is a pretty big deal in the Bible. I mean, in the New Testament alone, this word faith is used almost 250 times. Uh, the Bible says things like, the righteous shall live by faith. Or Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Or Ephesians 2 says, by grace you can be saved through 
faith. Faith is the way to life and salvation. It's the way we receive God's grace in order to be in a relationship with him. Faith is a big deal. And this is the first time that Luke uses the word faith in his book. So Luke's introduction to one of the most important ideas in the Bible is describing these guys. Like these guys who destroy property and disrupt Jesus. They are the ones who exemplify faith. Now, now take a step back and think about this for a second. You have two groups of people, religious leaders who know scripture, who study scripture, who go to great lengths to teach and obey scripture. And then you have these random guys who seem to have no manners and an inclination towards vandalism. Like if there were two breakout sessions this morning called biblical faith, one given by the Pharisees and one given by these guys, whose would you go to? Now, I know the vandals and scandals would be a little bit more fun, (laughs) but I don't think we would think that they're the experts on faith in the room. And yet, Luke and Jesus highlight them as the examples of faith. And really, all we know about them is that they went to great lengths to ask Jesus for help. The paralyzed man relied on the help of his friends, and the whole group relied on the help of Jesus. They were brave enough to say, help. Friends, don't miss what Luke offers us here. Faith is not climbing the ladder of self-sufficiency. It's being lowered through the roof in humility. Faith is not climbing the ladder of self-sufficiency. It's being lowered through the roof in humility. Faith is bravely admitting that you need help. Now, why is help such a hard word to say? I remember one of the earliest times in my life when I refused to ask for help. I was a little kid, and I was playing around in my backyard, and at that point, we were getting an addition onto our house. And so the backyard was a construction zone. In other words, it was a little boy's playground. And so I'm hopping around in all the rubble. I'm jumping in and out of the new construction. I'm running around on planks of wood until I step down on a board with a nail sticking straight up. And unfortunately, my worn through sneakers provided little protection and it went through the soles of my shoe and it pierced my foot deeply. And so I painfully hobble inside and I stumble through the house to find my mom, but before I get to her room, I can tell that she's on the phone. And so I think to myself, What a perfect time to educate myself on how to properly disinfect a wound. (laughs) Now, there's many problems with that, but two main problems rose to the surface in what happened next. First, back then, the the go-to disinfectant was hydrogen peroxide, (laughs) which I didn't know this. Now experts say it's even more damaging to the skin, so that's a freebie for you. But that wasn't even my biggest problem. My biggest problem is that I didn't know the difference between hydrogen peroxide and rubbing alcohol. And let me tell you, not only is rubbing alcohol also no longer recommended, 
It's also much more painful. Let's just say my mom was not on the phone much longer after that. Here's the point. Refusing to ask for help results in greater pain. Refusing to ask for help results in greater pain. And while my elementary foot puncture mistake was minor in the grander scheme of things, although I should probably have my foot checked out, (laughs) I'm saddened to say the rest of my life, up until this very point, has been marked too often by the same refusal. All of us, in in some way, shape, or form, battle this ongoing allergy to the word help. But bravery, faith, admits, I don't have the answers. I don't have it all together. I need help. Friends, in life, you are going to face countless situations that you are unable to fix. Whether it's suffering that you're unable to change, sin that you are unable to overcome, a diagnosis that you are unable to avoid, or a relationship that you're unable to fix. Some of you are facing those realities right now. You need help. And uh, no matter your uh, accomplishments and achievements, your, your skills, strengths, or successes, your health or your wealth, The the day is coming when you will breathe your last breath. You are unable to avoid your inevitable end. You are unable to defend yourself against death. You need help. And beyond the grave, you are going to meet your maker. And just like this paralyzed man, you will lie vulnerable before a righteous and holy judge. And you will have to give an account for your life. All the good things you were unable to do and all the sin you were unable to avoid, it's a sentencing that you are unable to get out of. You need help. In life, And in death and in the presence of God, the reality is that you and I are desperate for help. It's not weak to admit. It's not shameful to ask. Dependence is hardwired into your body and soul. The fact that you and I are breathing in oxygen right now is proof that you need something outside of yourself in order to survive. And so let every breath remind you of your reliance. Asking for help is how God intended you to operate. Your only hope is in getting help. And so friends, learn to embrace this word. This is the foundation of faith. This is the heartbeat of humanity. You and I need help. Now, asking for help in general is good. God made us to be dependent, but our ultimate help is found only in the person of Jesus. And Luke shows us why. So your need for help is found in Jesus, and the first reason is this. It's because of his compassion. Now, let's, let's go back to the scene, and I want you to consider this scene from the perspective of Jesus. I mean, he's teaching in a crowded room, 
His reputation and his fame are growing. He's got some high-profile leaders who have come to hear him. This is a big ministry moment for Jesus. And then, out of nowhere, you start hearing footsteps on the roof. And then dust and debris begin falling from the ceiling. Rays of sunlight begin shining through. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of sweat and grunting because lowering a full human would have required a lot of effort after tearing through a roof. And as more debris and tiles fall to the floor, slowly descending before Jesus is just a guy <laughs> on a mat. I mean, to say this is an interruption is a severe understatement. Like, this isn't sneezing during a sermon or your phone going off during class. <laughs> this is messy and noisy. I mean, how do you respond when somebody impolitely interrupts you? But what does Jesus do? He's not irritated. He's not embarrassed. He's definitely not flustered. He welcomes the interruption because he's filled with compassion. A friend recently told me about the difficult relationship he had with his father growing up. And one of the expectations in the household was, if dad is working, you don't interrupt. If his office door is closed, it stays closed until he comes out. You don't knock on the door and you certainly don't walk in uninvited. My friend once made the mistake of walking into his dad's office when he was working and he never did it again because he was met with anger and shouting. My friend and his siblings all learned that if dad is working, you don't interrupt. Isn't it tempting to think that's how God is? Condemning eyes, crossed arms, closed door. We fear that, that God will see our desperation as an unwelcome disruption. I mean, surely the God of the universe has more important things to deal with. But friends, the arms of Christ are never crossed. They are open wide, waiting for you to come in. The door is never closed. And even if there is a crowd clamoring to get in, Jesus is at least waiting for you to jump through the hole in the roof. Jesus is approachable. He's accessible. No matter your sin or your suffering, Jesus welcomes you with open arms. The help that you need is found in the compassion of Jesus. It's also found in his forgiveness. So return to the scene. We've got <clears throat> this man with paralysis. He's lowered through the roof. He's now laying before Jesus in the midst of the crowd. Everyone's been waiting as the friends took off the tiles and, and lowered him through. Even Luke has built the, anticipa the anticipation in verse 17. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. And so the crowd silently looks on to see what Jesus will do. And what does he say? Verse 20, man, your sins are forgiven. Talk about anticlimactic. I mean, Jesus may be an influencer, but I think he needs some coaching in public relations here. I, I mean, seriously, this was his moment to go viral, and it kind of falls flat. And maybe you're even thinking, here we go again. 
the whole Jesus thing, and he just wants to make everything about forgiveness. I mean, forgiveness is great and all, but why not offer this man a solution that will actually fix something? His, his legs need to be repaired. What does forgiveness have to do with anything? But let's give Jesus the benefit of the doubt that he's not completely misreading the situation. Let's assume that Jesus knows what he's talking about and what he's doing, because that's at least what the author, Luke, assumes. And if anybody had the opportunity to give some feedback on this moment, it would have been Luke. Luke was a doctor. And so uh, he could have given a second opinion, but he doesn't. Luke, the doctor, is showing Jesus as the great physician. And like any good doctor who sees past the symptoms in order to treat the cause, Jesus looks past the surface in order to deal with the problem at its source. You see, paralysis is not the ultimate problem. It's only the symptom. This guy's ultimate need is for sin to be dealt with. Now, to be clear, this is not suggesting that this man's specific sins are the reason that he can't walk. Jesus himself told his disciples elsewhere not to think that way. Nor is this dismissing how unbelievably hard and painful this man's life would have been. Nor is this recommending that we just ignore people's physical needs and care only about their spiritual state. We've already seen Jesus heal a leper, and spoiler alert, he's about to heal this guy too. Jesus cares about the whole person. He cares about your body and your soul. But how does forgiveness help this guy? Well, it first starts at the cosmic level. You see, what Jesus is doing here is targeting the cause, not just of this specific man's condition, but the cause of all paralysis. What Jesus is doing here is targeting the cause of all that harms humanity. Violence, addiction, anxiety, racism, oppression, abuse, war, poverty, depression, death. Jesus is doing what we are unable to do. You see, he's, he's showing that his aim is the beginning of all brokenness, and it's sin. You see, humanity's sin fractured creation. Not just the disability of one man, but the disintegration of all mankind. Dealing with sin deals with the cause, and forgiveness is the beginning of restoration. And this help that we as humans need begins at the personal level. Because of sin, this man is disconnected from his creator. Because of sin, this man is enemies with the master. Because of sin, this man is destined for damnation. And so for, for Jesus, to heal this man without forgiving his sins would be like giving Tylenol to somebody who's terminally ill. It might alleviate some of the pain, but it would not address the fatal condition. But forgiving this man's sins saves him from eternal suffering. It unites him with his creator and it restores his soul to everlasting life. Forgiveness promises the ultimate help that you need. It's not a temporary fix. It's an eternal solution. 
Your greatest need is to be forgiven by God. When all is said and done, it will not matter if your body worked right, if your plans went right, if your opinions were right, if your investments were right. What will matter is if you are right with God. And only Jesus offers the definitive forgiveness that you truly need. He says to this man, your sins are forgiven. I mean, imagine that there was a Word document on your computer with a written list of all of your sin. Every shameful and selfish thing you've ever thought, said, and done, even if you made the font size seven, narrow margins, single-spaced, it would still be pages and pages and pages long and still growing up until this moment. And you would be unable to do anything about the ever-lengthening nature of this list. This is the type of document that you would hide on your laptop, hoping that no one would ever come across it. But unfortunately for us, Jesus doesn't just have access to that document. He has seen everything that has taken place to be put on the document. And what this man is experiencing here is as if Jesus were to open the document, looking over our shoulder, to hit right-click, select all, delete. The forgiveness of Jesus means that all of your sin can truly be erased, which means you can truly be welcomed in to God's family. Through the help of Jesus, you can be fully accepted and forgiven forever. This is the help that Jesus offers through his forgiveness. And he's able to forgive because of the third thing, his authority. Now, this is where things kind of get tense with these two groups of people. As we look at his authority, notice the Pharisees' questions. You see them in verse 21. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, you might think that these guys are just being typical uptight religious people, but they're not wrong. Their theology is on point. It's true. Only God can forgive sin. Yeah, you can forgive somebody when they've wronged you, but you don't have the power to pardon their sin before the Lord. Only God can forgive sins because uh, sin is breaking God's laws and God's commands. And so these guys are absolutely right. Only God can forgive sin. And what they're noticing is Jesus is making a claim with this forgiveness. So follow the formula here. For any of you math nerds, this is the transitive property, Jesus edition. <laughs> Only God can forgive sins. Jesus forgives sins. Therefore, Jesus is God. See, his offer of forgiveness is a declaration. When he is forgiving this man, he is claiming that he has exclusive and divine authority. And as he does that, notice how he responds to their questioning in verse 22 and 23. He says, it says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, 
or to say, rise and walk. See, Jesus, in typical fashion, answers a question with a question, and then he offers a riddle. So which is easier? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't actually prove whether or not that happens. I mean, I could throw out forgiveness right now like a madman. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You don't have any proof whether or not it happened. But to say rise and walk, there's immediate evidence of whether or not I have the authority to say something like that. And so to prove his authority over the invisible, Jesus shows his authority over the visible. Look at what he says in 24. He says that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive. And then what does he do? He heals the man. He forgives sins and repairs his legs. Because that's the authority of Jesus over the physical and spiritual, over the seen and unseen. You know, we often take note when people showcase unique authority. I mean, think about what makes the headlines. When Elon Musk showed off his financial authority by buying Twitter and sending ships into space. Or when Taylor Swift displayed the authority of her fame by breaking Ticketmaster multiple times. Or when Ohio State showed their athletic authority over Penn State earlier today. I knew it was gonna go either way, guys. For better or for worse, low blows or not, we take note when authority is put on display. And friends, Luke has shown us an authority like no other. Jesus has authority over all things, from the fish of the sea to disease of the skin, to paralysis of the spine, to the infection of sin. His authority is exclusive and it's expansive. But more surprising than the grandeur of his authority is the grace of his authority. Think about how he's using his authority. He pours out his power to save suffering and sinful people. Jesus is not just some assistant or tutor to help you get over the finish line with your project. Jesus is not just some reinforcement when your resources run out. Jesus is the authority that you need to survive. And you can trust that Jesus offers the help that you need. He uses his resources for your restoration. You can come to Jesus for help because he has the authority to provide what you truly need. And finally, you can go to Jesus for help because of his sacrifice. Look at the result of this scene in verse 26. It says, an amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. You know, rightfully so, everyone is floored by what they've just witnessed. But this isn't the end of the story. We're just five chapters in to 
the book of Luke. He's still got 19 more to go. Don't worry, we're just finishing chapter five by the end of tomorrow. But he's got much more of the story of Jesus to tell. And, and honestly, if this were the end of the story, I think it would be kind of disappointing. I mean, it, it feels happily ever after. But if physical healing is the main event, it's actually not good news. Because not everyone gets to be healed, even in that house. And this man, he got up and walked out, and that was a blessing and a mercy, but he would get injured again. He would get sick, and one day he would die. This healing was a miraculous act, but it was just temporary. The help of Christ lies far beyond short-term repairs. You see, this healing isn't the main event. It's just a glimpse of what to come. And these people, in verse 26, they're, they're standing up to applaud when all they've seen is the trailer. I mean, think about it. When many of you saw our fall conference trailer at large group or on your phone, did any of you guys stand up and say, that conference was awesome? No. If you did, people would have looked at you really weird because you knew that that video was just an introduction, just a glimpse and a taste of what was to come. And in the same way, this scene of healing is just Luke's trailer of something greater on the way. You see, the full display of Jesus' compassion and his forgiveness and his authority would occur through his sacrifice. And this story actually gives us hints into what his sacrifice would look like because Jesus would experience a reversal of what we see in this passage. He would ultimately trade places with this paralyzed man. But instead of a mat, Jesus was pinned down to a cross. His hands and his feet were nailed, his limbs fixed to pieces of wood, unable to move. And he vulnerably died in excruciating death. And unlike the paralyzed man, whose friends were with them at the point of desperation, everyone around Jesus abandoned him when he needed him most. And instead of crowds swarming him to applaud, they surrounded him to mock. Jesus, the one who welcomes anybody in, was rejected and despised as he died in your place. He did not move as he suffered for your sin. The entire list, the whole document. Jesus was paralyzed for your pardon. Can you believe that? The one who has all authority sacrificed himself for you. This is the song that we sang earlier in the weekend. God really loves you. That's not a vague, general thing that we're just throwing out there. That is a specific and individual promise to you. God really loves you. Jesus died as your sacrifice. But he did not just die for you. He died, he was buried, and three days later, Jesus rose. 
He walked out of the tomb. Jesus paralyzed the ultimate paralyzer. And the man of our passage walked away with his mat. Jesus walked away with his tombstone. He disabled death. He walked out of the tomb so that you and I can walk with God. You are unable to bear the punishment for your sin, but Jesus took your place. You are unable to make yourself right with God, but Jesus offers full forgiveness. You are unable to overcome death, but Jesus rose so that one day you will too. And this command that he gives to the paralyzed man in this passage serves as a promise for anyone who falls at the feet of Jesus, rise and walk. Sin can no longer paralyze those who are in Christ. Death will not immobilize those who belong to Jesus. Jesus isn't just in the business of raising people from their mats. He's in the business of raising dead people from their grave. And just as Jesus rose, all who are saved will one day get up, never again to be stopped by sin or suffering or death. The help that you need is found in Jesus. If you fall at his feet, you will rise and walk. And so here's the invitation. Come to Jesus. After seeing Jesus in all the passages so far, why would you go anywhere else for help. Bring him your sin. Bring him your burdens. Bring him all your hurts and mistakes and all the things you need help with. Salvation is freely offered to those who come to Jesus and say, help. And if you haven't done that, maybe tonight's the night to summon the bravery of dependence. In just a few moments, we'll have a time to respond through song, or later tonight, we're going to have an extended time of worship where you can respond to this call, and perhaps this is your opportunity to finally fall at the feet of Jesus. And don't think that, that considering that is something that you have to do on your own. With all your questions and uncertainties, uh, I mean, this guy... <laughs> was brought to Jesus by his friends. So if you have questions or you're not quite sure how to approach Jesus, how to ask him for help, you're surrounded by people who would tear through a roof for you. They're probably the ones who invited you to come. So come to Jesus. And for the rest of you who have come to Jesus and you have trusted in his sacrifice, have you drifted back into self-sufficiency? Have you avoided asking him for help, thinking that he will push you away, or thinking that uh, you should just rely on yourself as the master? Let this passage be a reminder of your utter dependence on a gracious savior. The help of Christ is the oxygen for your soul. You can only live because of Jesus. The help you need is still found in Jesus. His compassion welcomes your burdens. His forgiveness meets your deepest 
need. His authority promises the help you require, and his sacrifice guarantees your resurrection. Through Jesus, you will rise and walk. And so fall at his feet. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your compassion, that you have welcomed us in like no one else. Forgive us of our sin and our self-sufficiency. Use your authority to heal our hearts and maybe even our bodies too. Speak life into our lives now to trust your sacrifice and set our hope fully on your death and resurrection. Lord, would you help us? Amen.